Great to have you. Merry, Merry Christmas Eve. It's, it's, it's our joy and our privilege. My name is Norm, by the way, and on behalf of the rest of the staff here at Westside and our leadership and the many volunteers, it is our great joy. It's our great privilege to have you join us on this, on this Christmas Eve. If you're a guest of someone or uh, perhaps you just walked in on your own for the first time, maybe because you received an invitation or saw a sign outside, an extra special welcome to you. Uh, on the back end of our gathering time this morning, uh, you'll get some additional information about this ministry. But in addition to that, uh, we'll give you some information about a gift that we want to get into your hands when you leave as a token of our thanks for joining us today. So just keep your ears ears open on the back end, and we'll make sure that 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 happens. But before going any further, why don't we just stop and pray together? Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, on this Christmas Eve, we have come into this place individually, but we gather collectively to bless your name. And thank you for sending your son, your only son, to us and for us. Your word tells us that you are the father of lights and the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And nowhere is this better seen than in the giving of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we gather collectively as well to bless your name and thank you for coming to us willfully and readily for the joy it would result in and what it would accomplish, the saving of many lives. Jesus, we praise you for being our King and Savior, and we declare with bended knees that you are Lord, the name given to you by your Father that is above every other name, the name given to you by your Father because you were were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And Holy Spirit, we gather as well to bless your name and thank you For without you shining into the darkness, we would have never come to know and believe in Jesus. So we praise you for leading, drawing, and revealing, and continuing to do so. For what has started in us will one day be fully accomplished when we no longer see dimly but face to face. But can we be so bold as to ask that you continue to shine today on this Christmas Eve And reveal Jesus to us in ways that we haven't seen before. We all need more of Jesus. So please shine, Spirit of God. It's in the great and beautiful name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you're joining us for the first time today or it's been a long time, we've been in the midst of a Christmas series called Light Has Come. A title chosen because it sums up what Christmas is all about. That God sent his son, the true light, the light of life, the light of the world, to us. The word who was flesh became, excuse me, the word that was God and was with God became flesh and came. But why did he come? Why did he come? That he came is worth celebrating Why he came is worth knowing, so why did he come? Here's why I ask. Have you ever met somebody that you knew but in a place that was entirely out of context? You know what I mean? Like meeting up with your dad at a rave. That's kind of weird, right? That would be kind of weird. Just, what are you doing here? That's strange, right? Meeting your pastor at a casino. 
right? That would be kind of weird. Have you ever, when you were a kid, think back to when you were a kid, did you ever run into your teacher in a place like a, a grocery store and it just seemed really strange? Like Ms., it's always Ms., Ms. Parker, Ms. Parker, what are you doing here? And why is there a carton of cigarettes in your cart? Right, just kind of blew you away. Right, in your world, she didn't belong there. Her world was the school. Your world was this. That's where she should have stayed always, at least the way you thought back in the day. Well, take that thought and press the rewind button and go back 2,000 years. For if there was ever an appropriate time to ask, what are you doing here? It's at the first Christmas. I mean, what else do you ask when you bump into God in a manger? Jesus, again, the word that was with God, the word that was God, came. Jesus, what are you doing here? Well, the great thing about the question is that Jesus doesn't leave us guessing in regards to the answer, but gives us an answer saying this in John three sixteen, and you can read it on the screen behind me. Jesus states there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's our answer. And Jesus couldn't be clearer. But here's the problem with John 3.16. We know it. Even if you only have one verse in the Bible memorized, there's a good chance that it's John 3.16. Even if you rarely darken the doorway of a church, there's a really good chance that you know at least something about John 3.16. So why is that a problem? It's a problem because it no longer moves the needle, so to speak. John 3.16, for some, perhaps for many, has lost its luster, and we've become indifferent to it. It's like that song on the radio that gets overplayed, And after a while, when it comes on, you just sort of tune it out. In certain people in their lives, that's what's happened with John 3.16, and that's tragic. The tragic reality is that for some, John 3.16 has become a punchline more than anything else. With much of the blame resting on this guy, and you can see his image on the screen behind me. That's a guy named Roland Stewart. Some of you are familiar with Roland Stewart. He became famous, if you don't know anything about him, back in the 1970s and the 1980s for wearing John 3.16 t-shirts or holding up John 3.16 signs at major sporting events, like major ones. He would get on TV at World Series games or at NFL games. He even got into the Masters and got on TV at the Masters at Augusta National of all places. That's him. Now, some may applaud his courage. I mean, he got the word out, right? He did get it on TV. People had to have some questions about what John 3.16 said. But the fact of the matter is his wig didn't help his cause. And secondly, nor did the fact that he was sentenced to 20 years in prison in 1997 for kidnapping. But what Stewart did was he birthed the movement where John 3.16 started popping up everywhere. Tim Tebow, for example, and again, you can see his image on the screen behind me. He wore John 3.16 on his eye black. And others followed suit. Now again, you could argue that this is a good thing. Like I said, it gets the message out. But sadly, 
What also happened is that John 3.16 began being mocked along with those who promoted it on shows like Saturday Night Live, on shows like Family Guy, on shows like The Simpsons. It even made, it even made professional wrestling, sort of. A wrestler named Stone Cold Steve Austin took the John 3.16 and twisted it a little bit, and he became famous for wearing his Austin 3.16 t-shirts. The result of all of this is that John 3.16 became a meme before there was such a thing. And that's nothing short of sad. Because in spite of the magnificence found in it, many won't give John 3.16 a chance because of what our world has turned it into. Here's what I would like to do with the few minutes that I have with you this morning. I'd like to take the chance of spending some time in what is undoubtedly the most well-known verse in the Bible and remind or reveal, depending on where you are this morning, remind or reveal what I'm going to call three wonders found in it. The three wonders of John 3.16. And here's the beauty of all three. They're all love-related. They're all love-related with each helping explain why Jesus came. So only one verse this morning, but full of a triple play of wonder. Let me give you the three on the front end, and then I'll double back and hit them one at a time. The three, number one, is love is the motive behind Jesus coming. Second, love is defined in Jesus coming. And third, love is given to those who respond to Jesus coming. So let's hit them one at a time. Wonder number one, love is the motive behind Jesus coming. This is made crystal clear in the first part of John 3.16 where Jesus says, therefore, or because, God so loved the world that he gave or he sent Jesus. Now I know this is new for some of you. I would I think be absolutely incorrect to think that all of you have heard John 3.16 before, but I know that's a small minority in this room. So I do know that there are some of you where this is brand new news, that love was the reason Jesus was sent or propelled his coming. But I want all of us to hear this like we're hearing it for the first time. That love was the impulse for the sending of Jesus. Love for all of us. The way world is used there in John 3.16, it's speaking of the entirety of humanity. Because God loved all of us, he sent Jesus. But in saying that, there's a challenge for me as well. And the challenge for me is that for many people, this doesn't register for them. God loves me? Why wouldn't he? I love me. A lot of people love me, so why wouldn't, why wouldn't God love me? I mean, in a world where many kids hear again and again and again from their parents how special they are, the idea that God wouldn't love them doesn't make any sense at all. Because after all, they're just so doggone lovable. So yeah, God loves me and he sent Jesus to me. It makes total sense. But here's the problem with that sort of mindset. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say because we were so lovable, God sent his only son. In fact, what makes the love of God for us and the sending of the son to us so full of wonder 
is that the Bible describes us as just the opposite. Let me explain this. As I think we all know, there is more than just one verse in the Bible. There are actually 31,101 other verses in the Bible besides John 3.16. And if you spend some time in those other 31,000 plus words, you find out a lot about who God was sending his son to. And what we discover is that God was sending his son to to a people who were the total opposite of lovable. People described in the other texts as things like haters of God, lovers of self, lovers of darkness too, applauders of unrighteousness, exchangers of truth, worshipers of creation, rejecters of the gift given, and enemies of the sun sent. As we just heard read just a moment ago, Jesus came to his own people and his own did not receive them. Like it or not, that describes us too. Like those are our descriptors. That, that's what the text tells us. Now, I know that may sound harsh on this Christmas Eve. I get that. But here's what you need to understand when I say that. I highlight it because this is in fact great news. It's the best of news. Now, how is that? It's the best of news because God still loves us. In a world where people talk about falling out of love, in a world where we feel such great pressure to earn another's love, God tells us that he loves us perfectly, fully, divinely, in spite of us. That's great news. Here, here's my Christmas gift to you. I'm going to give you all a gift today. Okay, this is, this is great. Don't ever say I didn't give you anything. Here's my Christmas gift to you today. The love that God the Father has for you doesn't depend upon your lovability. Like let that sink in. It doesn't rest on you. God loves you. He loves you pockmarks. He loves you screw-ups and all. He loves you. The question is, why? Like, why? The question is, how? Why and how? Well, the answer is because he's love. That's the answer. He's love. Now, that's not all he is, mind you, and we need to keep that in mind as we continue going through John 3, 16, but he is nothing less than that either. He is love. And because he is, he sent his son to us in spite of us. But hear me as well. But because of us, in spite of our imperfections and because of our imperfections, he sent his son Jesus to us. I'll hit that more later, but... For now, wonder number one, love is the motive behind Jesus' coming. But that's not all. Wonder number two, love is defined in Jesus' coming. I don't know if you've ever caught the script Spelling Bee on TV. It's the world's largest and most prestigious. It comes on once a year, and every once in a while, if you're channel surfing, you'll come across it. If I happen to come across it, I'll usually pause for a little while and watch it, most of the time just saying, that's a word? 
right? That's amazing. If you've never seen the script spelling bee, the same thing happens every time between the judge and the contestants. The judge will ask for a question to be spelt, and the 11 or 12-year-old super genius will ask a couple of questions in return. Language of origin, please. Can you use it in a sentence, please? And then finally, they will ask, will you give me, can you please give me the definition, please? And here is what the judge will never do. He'll never make one up. Why is that? Because he's just the judge. He's not the definer. But he knows someone who is. And so what he does at that moment is he goes to the dictionary, the Webster's third edition specifically, and he reads the definition out. Here's the problem with the word love. We've become the definer of it. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't know something about love because we're created in the image of the one who is love after all. It's just that along the way, we've done some very unhelpful things about love too. Things that we've stated about it. We sing songs with words like, all you need is love. Like, but what does that mean? There's a concrete pillar in Vancouver that I drive by every once in a while that has spray painted on it. The meaning of life is love. Okay. A couple of months ago, Matt was preaching here and he mentioned that he heard the phrase, love is love. Super helpful. It's super helpful. It's like telling a person who's never eaten chocolate that chocolate tastes like chocolate. Like it just doesn't make any sense. We need more help. Speaking of the dictionary, it's not that helpful either. Defining love as an intense feeling of deep affection. So is that the meaning of life then? The meaning of life is deep feelings of affection. Doesn't all of this make you want to stand up and yell out, can someone please give me a definition of love that's helpful? Someone has. And here is how the definer defines love. In 1 John 3.16, John, as inspired by God the Holy Spirit, writes, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Paul in Romans 5.8, as inspired by God the Holy Spirit, writes, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So go back to the spelling bee. The word is love. Can I have a definition, please? Jesus on the cross. There's our definition, which tells us that love isn't merely defined by deep feelings, but with the pinnacle of actions. The son dying for those who wanted nothing to do with him. The son dying on the cross for those who nailed him to it. That's love. Which helps us understand why he came not only in spite of our imperfections, but because of our imperfections. Jesus came to take our imperfections. Our rebellion, our darkness, our choices. Those, he came to take them. And he took them all the way to the cross and he exchanged, if we receive his work by faith, his perfection on us. Are imperfect to him, his perfect to us. That's why he came. 
But does that mean that God's love for us is absent of emotion? Uh, No, only the opposite. I want you to notice what Paul prays in Ephesians 2. Again, it's on the screen. Where he prays, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you hear what Paul is saying? What Paul is saying in this written out prayer for the Ephesians and us by association is that the love of God is so intense it requires power to grasp. And it's so grand it surpasses the ability to know it at least fully. It surpasses knowledge. So I need to pray for you that you get this. And so no, God's love isn't absent of emotion but nor is it devoid of action either. It's defined by both. With love's action helping us glimpse love's size and scope. So two wonders thus far in John 3.16 that we've seen. Wonder number one, love is the motive behind Jesus' coming. And wonder number two, love is defined in Jesus' coming. And finally, wonder number three, love is given to those who respond to Jesus' coming. So what am I saying? Am I saying that love, God's love for us is conditional then? Well, no. Remember, it was God's love for the world that prompted the sending of Jesus in the first place. And therefore, God's love is entirely unconditional. Entirely unconditional. But it's not always received. The first girl I ever loved was a girl named Daphne in grade five. Loved her with an intense love. I won't give out her last name in case she listens online because I don't want her to hear this and have to live forever after with deep regret of not having this. You know what I mean? Here's the thing about Daphne though. In spite of my great love for her, expressed... Notes in her cubbyhole, Valentine's Day cards only for her, left in her desk, telling Linda, her good friend, to tell her that I loved her at recess. In spite of all of that, in spite of all of that, she wanted nothing to do with my love. Nothing to do with it. She thought I had cooties, man. She thought my nose was too big. It is too big, but that's sad to hear. Right? If that's your nose, I'd hate to see the grindstone. Right? You've, you've heard that joke before. Just think about it. You'll get it on the way home. <laughs> Making things worse, she loved Kevin McKechnie. Kevin freaking McKechnie. Like, that's the worst. Right? Can you believe it? In spite of all the love I had to give, she wanted nothing to do with me, and she chose to love a lesser man instead. West Side and friends and guests, here's the truth. God loves you. And you know he does because he showed you. He showed his intense love for you. He made it known. No guesses. Notes. Expressed. 
through the greatest of actions, a love so intense that we don't even have the power to comprehend the vastness of it. He loves you. But it's a love that needs to be received. As Jesus also says in John 3, a little bit later, it's whoever believes in the Son and receives him who has eternal life. He won't force it on you. But even in saying that, it's my belief that if you get a glimpse of his love, it will be, it will be irresistible to you. But so often we fail to get that glimpse because we've chosen to love lesser things instead. And that choice, Jesus says, will only end in regret. So I end my time with you by going back to the beginning and asking the question one more time, Jesus, what are you doing here? His answer, love sent me. God's love for you sent me. A love that is defined in my sending. A manger today and a cross one day to come. But it's a love that needs to be received. A love that needs to be received. Have you received it? Have you? And if you haven't, why not? He came for you. He offers himself to you to take all that crud and junk on him and give you his life, his perfection, his resurrection to you. But you have to receive it by faith. And go from a place of running away from him to being guided by him, strengthened by him, changed by him, transformed in a twinkly twinkling of an eye by him. Have you received it? And if you have received it, have you become callous against the great story that is ours? Ours that we've received and ours to share. So that's why I came. That's why I'm here. The question as we close our time is, will we choose something lesser instead? Let's pray together. And so, Jesus, I close in the same way I began, by thanking you, praising you for coming, sent in love to us and for us, in spite of our imperfections and because of our imperfections. My ask being that by way of the Spirit you sent, that more people would be drawn to you, that they would believe and receive the greatest of all gifts given, you, as Savior and Lord, and not seek to be satisfied with lesser things. And Jesus, as we take time today to look back to your first coming, we also look ahead with anticipation to your second. The assurance of the second built on the reality of the first. Come, Lord Jesus. We long to see you and be with you, for that will be better by far. But until that day comes, we will give ourselves to the ministry of making Jesus known here, the only name under heaven by which we are saved. Strengthen us for that, that task, we pray. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.